Hello and welcome to Pole Position, a podcast series from the Hoover Institution covering the 2016 election season. Pole Position is hosted by Hoover Research Fellow Bill Whalen, an expert in U.S. and California politics and elections. Hello, it's Wednesday, November the 2nd. Welcome to Pole Position, the Hoover Institution's ongoing look at the 2016 election, now less than a week away. I'm Bill Whalen, a Hoover Research Fellow. Joining me today, two gentlemen, each with at least 65,000 emails under review by the FBI. <laughs> David Brady, it's Stanford University political scientist and the Davies Senior Family, uh, Family Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. And Doug Rivers, Stanford University political scientist, Hoover Senior Fellow and Chief Scientist for YouGov, the Palo Alto-based online survey firm. Gentlemen, it's the last time we're going to gather before the election. Can you believe it? Promise. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. The last time we're going to meet before the election, let's talk today about what we see happening six days from now. I just waved at you a few minutes ago, a Washington Post poll that shows Donald Trump up 46 to 45, a 13 point swing, I believe you said, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. And Doug, you ain't buying it. Uh, yes, uh, Ben Lauderdale and I uh, uh, published a piece in, on Real Clear Politics yesterday. Um, on uh, the statistical mirage of these huge swings. Um, the problem with the ABC Post poll is uh, you'd have to have for a 13-point swing in the lead uh, six and a half, seven percent of the people moving one direction or the other, and that just didn't happen. Uh, the problem with these polls is they're talking to new samples uh, uh, every week, uh, so you don't know if anybody's really switching. We went and looked at uh, who was switching in the election. Um, Based so, on the recontact survey. Yes, so uh, just coming out of the field yesterday, last night, so it's hot off the presses. Um, so we uh, re-interviewed the same people that we had talked to uh, a month earlier. Well, oh, since the, May of 2015. These are the same 5,000 people you've been contacting yes. month in and month out since May of 2015. All right. Okay. Right. Um, we didn't get all in touch with all uh, 5,000 of them. Uh, we'll probably get to about 3,000 when the data collection is done. But the initial numbers are 98% of the Clinton supporters uh, after the first presidential debate uh, are still Clinton supporters uh, today. 98% um, of the Trump supporters after the first presidential debate are still Trump supporters today. Mm -hmm. uh, the other groups uh, show more movement. So, for example, only about 50% of the Johnson and Stein voters are still saying they're going to vote for Johnson and Stein. Uh, interestingly, the uh, bigger group, which are the Johnson voters, have been splitting about two to one uh, of, the, of the half that have moved uh, towards Clinton. Mm -hmm. And the Stein voters, uh, again, about half are stable uh, and about one-sixth uh, have said they're going to vote for Clinton. The other uh, bunch have moved to undecided. None of the Stein voters moved to Trump. Well, there aren't a hell of a lot of Stein voters to begin with, so we shouldn't make too big a deal of that. Uh, the uh, Trump has been doing better among the people who said they were undecided previously. Uh, but overall, we show remarkable level of stability. Uh, our high number for Clinton in the Economist polling, which is our weekly polling, was six points. Uh, our model has never shown uh, Clinton winning by more than five points, um, nor in uh, uh, The Economist, the low point for Clinton was yesterday's poll where she was just under three points. Uh, our model shows her about three and a half. 
so I'm pretty comfortable with a three to five point uh, margin in this race. Okay. More towards the three? Uh, it's looking more towards the three than yeah. the five. So if you had to say, you say she's yeah. going to win. If I were betting today, I would go with less than Barack plus three. Obama, r- less than Obama won in 2012. Right. Yeah, Obama was roughly, yeah. he was a yeah. little under four, 3.8, 3.9. Yeah. And I think she's about a point lower than that today. Okay, so the over-under, you're going to take the under. Dave, do you take the over or the under? I take the under. Take the under. <laughs> yeah, this is a tough choice. Where are you, me. Bill? <laughs> I'm under two. Look, there's a there's a very small percent of people out there just mm-hmm. clinging to those ballots like grim death right now. And they just mm-hmm. cannot, yeah. they cannot come to terms with having to vote for either of these people. So I just, I suspect it's the Brady theory. Whoever pulls away, we're going to shrink back in. So I see that. Mm-hmm. Dave, you've been looking at early turnout figures in this election. And you want to refute the idea that early turnout is a factor here. Well, they can, they can be I meaningful. They were slightly indicative in 2012. But the, so I'll give you an example of the problem. So one of the headlines of the New York Times today mm-hmm. was uh, things look bad for the Clinton campaign because the African-American turnout, early voting in key states, was not as high as it was in 2012. Mm-hmm. Okay, so think about that. 2012, were African-Americans more enthusiastic about Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton? Right. Obviously Obama, so they came out and voted early. That does not mean, we do not know, that that doesn't mean they're going to turn out on, elec- on election day. So that's the sense, that's exactly the sense in which uh, we don't know. And on that basis, I don't make too much of them uh, because we really don't know uh, exactly who's going to turn out and there's enthusiasm levels. Although the early stuff did show the, dem- the organizational part looks as though the Democrats, everybody believes that anyway, have an advantage organizationally. Organizationally, you want to turn out, get the votes out early and get them counting early so you look good. And Democrats have a, everyone agrees they have a better turnout organization than the Republicans. So that looks like that's working, but I wouldn't make too much of them. Yeah, so the, the two interesting states there, I think, are uh, Florida and North Carolina. Um, the difficulty, uh, is that it's not an apples-to-apples comparison, the 2012 versus 2016 early voting in Florida. The rules changed slightly in the uh, period in which it opened. Um, From what I've seen, the Florida numbers are kind of mixed. Some things look a little better for the Democrats, and some look a little worse. Uh, The North Carolina numbers with lower black turnout um, uh, was the story in the Times this morning. Uh, is potentially a problem for the Democrats. Um, the, um, the, the sort of numbers they threw out, uh, and they were a little vague on this percentage or that percentage, are ones that aren't terribly plausible. Um, you know, we know there's not going to be a 25% decrease in black turnout rates. Um, I think everybody has counted on a slight decrease in black turnout relative to white turnout because Obama's not on the ticket. The blacks aren't as enthusiastic about Clinton as they were about Obama. Uh, But that's probably compensated for uh, by that uh, Trump has proved a motivating factor for many Hispanics to vote. Um, And they are a significant factor, especially in Florida, but also in North Carolina. And and women. Yes. And women makes up for that. Real clear politics. We were just looking at the uh, the averages before we came on the air here. They have the uh, presidential race right now uh, in terms of electoral votes at 246 Clinton, 180 
for Trump, and they have the following states hanging in the balance. Uh, that would be Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, Colorado, Nevada, Iowa, New Hampshire, Arizona, the 2nd Congressional District in Maine, and Dave and Doug won. Will there be a test on this, Bill? There will be a test. Write these down. Uh, but here's the one that sta stands out of surprise, and I don't know if you guys have any data or any thoughts on this. The Commonwealth of Virginia is on the toss-up. Yeah, I, I actually think when I looked at that, I thought uh, Virginia, Colorado, and New Hampshire are all going to go for Mrs. Clinton, I believe, and that makes it 272. Right. So I, I, I know they put it in there, but it looks to me like she's still up five points or so in the polls. So. Yeah, I, I haven't looked at the uh, Virginia polls uh, that they're reporting, but uh, everything that we've seen suggests that Virginia is not particularly close. So when you guys see Donald Trump going to Pennsylvania, when you see him going to Michigan, going to what we presume would be blue states come next week, is he is he trying to pull off a head fake? Is he trying just to get her to turn her attention elsewhere? Does does he see something in the polls that we're not seeing? What what do you think is going on in Trump headquarters? I have no idea. <laughs> but besides besides an ongoing argument about how much to pay their polls. But <laughs> but that's another story. Yeah, yeah I think uh, Kellyanne may be holding back the latest <laughs> results. Um, so there's some logic to Trump uh, visiting uh, some states like Pennsylvania and Michigan, mm -hmm. uh, because if Trump loses uh, North Carolina, as right. I think he will, and loses Florida, mm -hmm. as I think he will, uh, he needs to make up for those states with uh, states with lots of electoral votes. Exactly. It doesn't do him any good to go to, uh, you know, Iowa or Nevada. Um, there aren't enough electoral votes there, and he needs to win those anyway if he's going to lose some of these other states. Mm -hmm. So the question for Trump is, is he more effective in uh, states with a big white working class vote, right. um, even though the polls show him significantly down there? Uh, I would say our Pennsylvania polling has shown that race closer than other polls, though about every poll there shows, I don't think there's a single poll that shows Trump up uh, in uh, Pennsylvania. What, one thing it did change is that uh, Mrs. Clinton changed her schedule and she's going to Michigan. Saw that. Uh, yep. Partly. And I think uh, if I had to guess the reason for it, I of course don't know, I think it's uh, to firm up the African-American vote, uh, which is crucial to winning uh, Michigan. So Trump's going there probably may have set some of it off, but uh, she's going to, that's where she's going to go. She's going to try and uh, okay. gin up, make sure the turnout is yep. there. And that's good for Trump because it puts her in a state that uh, looks, looks safe, but she has to waste some time there and it's not going to go to Arizona or Florida. Uh, yeah, I find it puzzling why Clinton was in Arizona. Uh, that doesn't make much sense to me. No, I didn't. Um, that she doesn't need Arizona to win. Um, right. Her likelihood of winning there, I think, is relatively low. Uh, but uh, again, maybe that's the idea that she's going to distract Trump and draw him to Arizona if she goes there. So it's, we, can, we can psych off She wants thing. to do that. She should stand on top of the Trump Tower and say how <laughs> short it is. Very good. Real clear politics, House numbers. They give the Republicans right now 224, and they give the Democrats 190. That's with 21 toss-ups the mixed. I went back, guys, and I looked at the last five open presidential elections. So this is 2088, 68, 1960, and 1952. Uh, in those five races, there was never a shift of more than 22 House seats. Doug, you taking the over or the under on 22? Uh, my best number is 20, 20. Um, but... Um, 
I think I uh, will take the over just to, to help you guys out. Really, I'll take the under. You'll take the under 22. I'll take 20. <laughs> so it's worth noting that if they're going to pick up more than 22, it's going to involve California. And we had a Hoover Golden State poll come out yesterday, which showed Donald Trump at 30% in California. Mm. Um, yeah, you just arched your eyebrows when I said that. Mm -hmm. The elder Bush, Bush 41, got a shade under 33% here in 1992. That was with Ross Perot taking away 20% of the votes. And let's assume he would have been in the 40s. You have to go back, guys, to 1936 in Alf Landon, who got 31.7 to find this bad of a performance. The reason why this is relevant, because obviously the 55 electoral votes don't mean a damn in the bigger picture of things, it's house races. And there are three house seats in California, Daryl Issa, a fellow named Steve Knight, who is closer to Los Angeles, and Jeff Denham, who is uh, in the northern part of the Central Valley. And they're in a world of hurt right now because they've got a nominee who is dragging along. They don't know how to position themselves versus him. And the Democrats are just pounding them as an extension of Trump. So that's where you see a down-ticket effect. Yeah, uh, so I think there are some races that we didn't think were going to be close right. that potentially move into the competitive range. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't think the chances of Democrats taking the House are very good, um, but I dissent from the view that uh, the House is completely out of the question. Um, it depends a lot on uh, whether, uh, you know, whether Republicans stay at home. The thing that can hurt Republicans in these marginal races is low Republican turnout. Right. Uh, I don't think you know, I don't think there are going to be any significant number of Republicans that are swept, uh, are going to vote for Clinton. Uh, that's, that's a tiny number of people. Uh, so it's stay at home. Let me ask you guys this question from a polling standpoint. Is it logical to think that if it's a three to four to five point national election that you could have that big of an undertow in the House seats? I, I agree with that. Uh, uh, it's going to vary state by state, but uh, it, in California, because there's a huge mm -hmm. Clinton win, uh, it matters more. But in, the closer it is, Ohio states like that, those seats aren't going to change. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think with a three-point national race or a two-point, um, you know, it, it would be extremely hard to see a scenario where the Democrats pick up a lot of House seats in that case. Uh, um, when, you know, 10 days ago when there were Clinton double-digit leads, you did right. see the generic ballot numbers going, you know, eight, nine uh, points in the Democrats' favor. Back down to four or five. Right. Yeah, now it's back down, and, you know, so that's why I think we're going to see something in the more normal range. But, by the way, uh, I always like to get Professor Rivers to give a probability on this. So what's your probability that the Republicans would lose the House? Mine's point nine. <laughs> I think I gave that number to you. And I had it. I wrote it down myself earlier. But what? you agree. Point nine. Point, point, I mean, point nine that they don't lose the house. Yes, okay. ninety percent. Yeah. I th yeah, and I think yeah. most people are sort of acting like this is ninety-nine percent. Right. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I obviously wouldn't bet on something uh, unless you gave me ten to one odds yeah. or better. Okay. Let's have a little more fun on the betting side, and let's go to the U.S. Senate. First question, mm -hmm. fellas. We're watching this on election night. Will the presidency be called before the Senate is decided or vice versa? Oh, good, good question. Yeah, good question. Um, I, I'm going to bail on that one, Bill. The, the problem with uh, the Senate is there are a whole bunch of races uh, that are relatively close um, in the pre-election polling, right. but the polling is spread out. Right. And a bunch of those are going to end up being 
three, four uh, point races right. rather than one point races. Uh, for people who don't know, it's basically uh, anything under about uh, three points mm-hmm. um, is it, you're basically into a vote counting situation. You right. can't call the race. Um, uh, and so that means nothing before about 10 p.m. It's now, you should know, by the way, that Professor Rivers is uh, on the team that goes to New York and uh, does all of the exit polls right. for the networks and puts them together so that the samples are represented. Fortunately, I don't have to call House races, but yeah. we do do Senate races. I mean, there are actually people in the back of that TV shot who are working. They're just not there for filler and giving the impression right. that everyone's doing well, their I try to pretend I'm doing something yeah. other than texting with Brady. I asked the Senate question for this reason. If you go back to 2014, there was a very contentious Senate race in Alaska, which, of yeah. course, takes all night long yeah. to figure out because Alaska, because it's later than the East Coast, and yeah. you have, you know, being delivered by dog sleds and things like that. So it takes forever to count the votes. But if you look at real clear politics right now, they have the Senate, which is currently 54-44-2, but 54-46 for voting purposes. They have it at 47 all with the following six states up for grabs. Indiana, Pennsylvania, Nevada, North Carolina, New Hampshire, and Missouri. Only one of those states, guys, is to the west, and that's Nevada. So it's kind of a tricky question in this regard. You have a lot of eastern and central time zone races, but how excruciating close are these races going to be? Yeah, so let me go back to your prior question first. Uh, So the presidential race, Clinton basically can't get over the top before she gets the West Coast states. Okay. So they don't close till uh, 11 o'clock Eastern. 1 p.m., okay. Yeah. Well, that assumes you've called enough of the races in between, and there's not a one-point race in Ohio or uh, Florida or something like that. Uh, so the presidential race, I don't see that happening before 11, and I, I think more likely is after midnight. Um, um, the Senate races, there's a chance if these things break one way or the other that uh, all these East Coast states, by midnight you have uh, any race that's more than a point you can get with vote count by midnight. Okay, Doug, I saw you straighting when I said 47, 47 yeah. on the list of the six states. I think you've got some different numbers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I currently believe the most likely is um, uh, 50 or 51. I'm leaning more towards 51, Dem. Mm-hmm. Uh, my count is Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Pennsylvania. Uh, are pretty solidly uh, in the Democratic column. I know real clear the average in Indiana is Evan Bayh is only up by two points, but he's consistently up across the polls. And then Pennsylvania, I Joe Mc- Toomey has been polling a bit better. Uh, we uh, McGinty uh, has been up in most of the recent polls uh, in Pennsylvania. I think the, their uh, our number was plus three uh, for her there. Um, so there are four Democratic pickups, which would um, fifty, right? Fifty, 50 the but there are five races that I would call basically toss-ups: uh, Nevada, uh, excuse me, four races: Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, and Missouri. Um, Nevada is a Democratic-held seat, so uh, if the uh, Democrats lose that, then they're back to three at forty-nine. Yeah, the trouble there is they don't know anything about the pollsters. Well, so the polling in Nevada is all over the place. Yeah. Our last poll there was a tie. Well, you have done one with tie, yeah. Uh, but, um, you but know, he had the it's, it's not that they're all showing it's an even race. Yeah. It's they're 
polls showing uh, hack up by seven, eight points, and there are polls showing him down by that amount. But the early polling, all had, he had led all the way through. But he's had a tough time yes. recently. Yeah. Um, you know, he came out and said he wasn't voting for Trump, and now he's back to uh, holding his nose and voting for Trump. Right. Um, the uh, Trump has a lot of strong supporters in Nevada, and they are annoyed uh, yeah. at Heck. So your scenario has a maximum of the Democrats picking up seven seats here, right? Because Nevada's a hold for the Democrats. Yeah, the max they could pick up would be seven. Right. Um, I don't think that's likely. I think uh, Missouri is leaning uh, Republican uh, mm -hmm. blunt, but it's pretty close. In North Carolina. North Carolina. The more recent polls have been better uh, towards uh, Burr, the Republican. Right. Uh, our most recent poll there was a tie. Uh, on the other hand, New Hampshire, where the polling again is all over the place, um, I think the best poll out there at the moment is the WMUR uh, poll, and that shows Maggie Hassan up uh, by a point or two. Uh, but there are polls with Kelly Ayotte ahead, uh, and she'd been doing better earlier. Um, so anyhow, my calculation is the Democrats only need one of those four to, uh, to, to get to 50. Right. Uh, and I think their expected value is closer to two, maybe slightly under two. Right. So 50 may be slightly more probable than 51. Right. Uh, Interesting place to look right now in terms of Senate polling is the state of Georgia. Uh, Johnny Isaacson, the Republican incumbent, is leading comfortably in that race, but he's under 50 percent. And Georgia is one of those southern states with a kind of screwy system where if you don't get 50% on election day, you run it off. Yeah. And their runoff is not until January the 10th, I believe. So that poor senator, if Isaacson is somehow defeated, you could have a scenario where just like with the yeah. Landry race in 2014, both parties just throw everything into Georgia. But uh, that race could be hanging out in the balance on election night. Uh Yes, I don't think Georgia's as close as some of the more recent polling has it. Um, is that true presidentially as well? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah so, you know, the, there are always these residual categories in the polls of undecideds, and you can't vote for undecided when you go to the polls. So those numbers drop out. And um, so what we typically do is we allocate them, um, assuming the undecideds will split the way other voters do or won't vote at all, which is right. actually a frequent thing. Um, but it, if there is a runoff, I, I still think that heavily favors uh, Republicans. Two names you didn't mention in the Senate mix are John McCain in Arizona and uh, Marco Rubio in Florida. Yeah, I, run win. I, yeah I think those ones are sort of off the contested column now. So Rubio is going to bob up well ahead of what's going to go on down at the presidential level. Right. Okay. Well, Doug, you kind of led into the next question. <laughs> what, what hour do you think the presidential race is going to be called? Well, if it's a three-point race, um, actually, let's take this. Let's take this a different way, guys. Let's give let's give the folks a viewer's guide in terms of time zones. I think the yeah. first state that closes is Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we don't pay attention to that. But as you're watching East Coast states close, what states do you guys circle? I assume you're circling North Carolina and New Hampshire. Well, there are a few things we watch in interpreting the exit poll because uh, the exit poll for various technical reasons, has 
problems with older voters and lower education yeah, voters. Actually, yeah, actually, let's spend a minute on this because it seems every four years we end up beating the hell out of exit polling and yeah. this game of releasing exit polling data and getting excited. There's the famous John Kerry story from 2004 where Bob Shrum goes up and says, you know, hello, Mr. President. Yes. <laughs> based on based on the exit polls. <laughs> yes, I, I remember when that one started to turn and uh, Mark Melman asked me, my 270's not in danger, and I said, uh, yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> The uh, uh, So the way the exit poll is done is it's a very high-quality poll with uh, high response rates compared to other polls that you see. Mm -hmm. um, but it is not weighted in the same way that the other polls are. Right. Um, it's weighted by the interviewers take a guess at the people who refuse to talk to them about their age, their gender, their race. Um, and that weighting has typically not been as effective as the demographic weighting is for pre-election polls. Mm -hmm. So after the 2004 early release of the data, um, what uh, happened was that uh, a few things. One is they um, set up a quarantine room uh, where each of the networks sends a couple of people who look at the early data, uh, but they have to... Uh, put their cell phones away and are, are taken from them. Um, and so at 5 o'clock, uh, uh, so they're all assembled essentially in a room at the Time Warner Center uh, looking at the early data as it's coming in. Um, at 5 o'clock, they then tell their decision teams what the early data is. It's released, and it, shortly thereafter, it gets leaked to the world. Um, and so in 2008, the data got <laughs> At 5 o'clock was off substantially um, because of this problem of uh, the exit poll not being weighted to um, past uh, electorate demographics. And that's because certain people are more willing to talk, right? 2,000 is women. Every survey talk, yeah. these days is weighted to yeah. correct uh, demographic imbalances in the sample. The mm -hmm. problem with the exit poll is it's supposed to be a voters, and they don't know what the composition of the electorate will be. Uh, so they don't have good targets to wait to. This so was rather the pushback in 2004, I think, where the early where the samples came out uh, on the exit polls, but they were uh, heavily weighted Democratic. Yes. yes, and they had the same problem in 2008. Right. So what's happened since then is that the screens that are widely shared with not just the networks but also the subscribers who are newspapers um, are essentially average with pre-election polls. Right. So. When they get leaked, they look pretty much like the pre-election polls, and no one gets upset. Yeah. Internally, we're looking at them and saying, gee, what's going on? And if there's a big Democratic advantage in an exit poll, you can call the state. Uh, but if it's a small Democratic advantage, you worry that the exit poll is off. And until you start seeing some actual vote count, which doesn't happen before about 8 o'clock, uh, you're sitting there and only willing to call states can like Kentucky. Can you match where the precinct was with where the votes come from or not? Yeah, yeah the, the, re the reason the exit poll works at all is that uh, what they do is they estimate the ratio of current vote to past vote and multiply the past vote by that. Right. Uh, so it corrects for the precinct differential. Yeah, okay. But the problem you have is at poll closing time, <clears throat> all you've got are what people told interviewers. Right. An hour after poll closing, you then start to get um, the actual vote from the precincts, and you learn whether there was any bias, mm -hmm. that is an overstatement of the vote for one candidate or the other. 
because they get the actual vote from the precincts where they're interviewing. Okay, so the, so the exit poll data is coming in, so now actually polls are closing, mm-hmm. and you guys have to start looking at states. What states are you fellows looking at, starting on the East Coast? Uh, well, I'm responsible for uh, North Carolina. Okay. <laughs> Uh, in Florida. Uh, so those are the ones I will be spending my time on. Get some, um, get some sleep. <laughs> yes. Um, we do learn things from states like Kentucky. Uh, you know, so for example, if the vote is above or below what we expected in Kentucky, right. I mean, we know Trump's going to win Kentucky. That's, you know, as red a state as... But that might be your first sign if the, if the Vaughn had hidden Trump vote. If there is actually a surprise right. out there, you'll see it. Okay. That's right. If the data comes back from Kentucky and it's showing a bigger than expected Trump win, uh, that's an indication that it's a little different than the way we thought it was going to go. Now, Florida closes a little later because it's in two time zones, right? Well, Kentucky is in two time zones, too. um, The bulk of the state closes at 6 o'clock. Florida, the panhandle, um, doesn't close till later. Um, The uh, networks have now agreed that they will not call any state before the entire state um, is finished voting. Sounds fair. Well, there isn't much of Florida that's in the panhandle. That's a panhandle, that's right. Okay, so you're doing Florida and North Carolina, so, all right, so those are done quick enough. Where where are you looking at for that? I think that's right down the throat. Well, in my view, is if she wins Florida and North Carolina, it's over. Yeah, absolutely. Right. If, you know, if, if Clinton wins one of Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, uh, yeah. The election is basically a foregone conclusion. I think this is the easiest way for a viewer to watch the election on Tuesday night. Just write down a list of states, a daisy chain of states that he has to win to get to 270, yeah. and just start crossing them off if they don't start coming through. It'll be pretty evident early on if he's not if he's not going to pull it off. Right. Uh, my guess is that he's probably going to win Ohio, mm-hmm. um, and um, and then Florida, North Carolina are going to be close. My guess is Clinton will win both of those states, um, but we won't know it till fairly late in the night. Okay, so if she fails to win Ohio, she then becomes the next JFK, right? Wasn't JFK the last person to win the presidency but not carry Ohio? Yeah, I think so. It was like 1960. Do you think, Doug, that's going to be a series of political oddities we're looking at on Wednesday morning? Well, you know, the last four elections we've had, both have had a candidate uh, in uh, one candidate in uh, both pairs, right. uh, Bush in uh, 2004 and Obama in 8 and 12. Right. So we should expect a little uh, different pattern this time because it's two new candidates. Um, the, you know, the demographic base of the Clinton vote is um, she depends on getting very high margins among minorities. Mm-hmm. And Trump is doing better among the white working class. And so in states where there are a few minorities and there are a lot of working class white voters, those could have a different pattern. Yeah, uh, Ohio, so that's, has, Ohio has a pattern suited to him. It's right. got fewer blacks, fewer uh, right. Hispanics. Pennsylvania, on the other hand, has more blacks and more Hispanics. Not a black or Hispanic state, but enough right. of them to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Dave, what surprises do you expect on Tuesday night? What, what wrinkles are you anticipating? Oh, just the ones you talked about. It seems to me that you look at the if you look at North Carolina and Florida, and she wins those. I, I expect. I agree with Doug. I think uh, Ohio, because of its dem- chain, uh, demographics, uh, it will uh, go for Trump. Uh, but if North Carolina and Florida, I, I actually kind of think of either one of those. If she went, if he wins, if she wins Florida. Mm-hmm. 
even if he won North Carolina still. But you have to wait later to call it. But if she wins both, uh, I, I think that's uh, it's over. Okay. Yeah, I don't think people uh, have fully noticed the extent to which Trump has made inroads into the white working class. Um, in our uh, survey this, uh, this month, in the recontact survey, uh, I did a deeper dive into uh, working class support for Trump. So uh, I'm looking at whites only. Uh, so this is a group where uh, Romney won whites of all education yeah. uh, and class levels. Um, and uh, so right now you see, for example, Hillary Clinton uh, won people with a postgraduate, is winning with a postgraduate degree by over 20 points college grads by six points, and she loses all the other um, uh, groups of whites. Um, if you ask people how you describe yourself, um, people pretty much are upper middle, middle, or working class. Mm -hmm. um, Clinton wins the uh, upper middle, which is a fairly small group, by about 10 points. Uh, she loses the middle class by 15 points uh, and working class by about the same. How does um, she win? Is there some other class that I don't know about? Yeah, there's what's called minorities. minorities. That um, makes up 30 points? Uh, yeah, so... You give, uh, her, you give her at least nine-tenths of the black vote, you give I her... That, I guess that's why it's a three-point three election. Romney won the white vote by eight points. Yeah. Right. So winning, you know, a portion of the white vote by 10 points or 15 points, uh, so long as what Clinton has done is flip the upper middle class. Um, but to the, uh, it's interesting to what extent this really is a socioeconomic phenomena. So uh, one of the things I did is uh, we asked people uh, about the neighborhood they live in. Um, so uh, if your neighborhood is composed of mostly people with a college degree, Clinton wins those. But uh, the bulk of the, the largest group are neighborhoods where people have less than 20% college degrees. Trump is winning those 62 to 28. Um, we asked about your parents. Uh, it turns out your parents' college is a better predictor than your own college about how you're going to vote. So Trump, is, for people who neither of whose parents went to college, Trump is winning by 22 points. With both went to college, Clinton is winning by 15. Um, and then finally, um, you know, to what extent is this a national populist phenomenon or is it something different and, you know, a general sort of anti-elite? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so we asked about local government. No description of, you know, party or anything else. It's just how would you rate the job your local government is doing? Excellent, good, fair, poor. Mm -hmm. Clinton wins the people who say their local government is doing an excellent job, 4736. Um, they split the vote for the ones that say good. Trump wins the people who say fair by 15 points, and he wins the people who rate their local government as poor, 65 to 19. Uh, to me, this says this is a sort of class anti-elite uh, phenomenon. One more fact on that. I, I looked at uh, data on white women who uh, have a high school or less uh, degree and uh, they were for Trump by about nine points. Right. And then I looked at uh, college, uh, white women, college degree, college, college or college plus, and uh, Miss Clinton's up there 59, 30. 
So I've never seen education make such a difference across categories because Obama won the high school or less vote in uh, 2012 and a yeah, so we're going to emerge from this election probably with a Democratic Party that is minorities and the elite. And educated, yeah. Uh, and what the Republican Party is going to look like is harder to say because it's a, uh, a collection of not mutually inconsistent That's our first post-podcast. First post-podcast. All right, guys, well, let's close out uh, before the election with drumroll predictions. The one thing political scientists hate to do. So let's start with the obvious. I do. Clinton, Trump, or McMullen? <laughs> I'm going with McMullen. No. Or Steiner, Johnson. I I'd say uh, Clinton by a narrow margin. We'll get to the narrow margin points. next year. Just oh, Clinton okay. or Trump. So Clinton. 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 I'm with you, Clinton. So we agree Clinton's going to win. Margin of victory. We talked about this early. The over under. We Romney Obama was what three point nine. Doug over or under. Uh, slightly under. Slightly under. Dave. Under. Agree under three and a half. Yeah, three I'm two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, three two. Right. Electoral votes. Barack Obama received three hundred and thirty-two in two thousand and twelve. That was actually a drop off from two thousand eight. He's a rare president who dropped off his electoral votes. So let's make three thirty-two the benchmark for Hillary Clinton. Over or under. 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 Okay. Number of states won by a candidate not named Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Over or under of one. This is the Utah question. I'll say one. God. Um, our poll in Utah wasn't... John Utah wasn't, uh, <laughs> Our client uh, wanted it consistent with their other polling, and mm -hmm. so we asked Clinton versus Trump and didn't have McMullen. And so we were showing McMullen doing worse than other polls, even though in the follow-up he did fairly well. Uh, I'm sort of going to go with it. I, I think Utah may go for McMullen. They go for McMullen. Dave? I said, well, yeah, one. Okay, one. McMullen. one. Okay, McMullen, you two. I think Trump wins it at the end of the day, but okay. I could be wrong here. The House, Democrat or Republican? Republican. Republican. Dave? Yes, same. Republican, I agree, too. Um, over, under of uh, votes picked up by the Democrats. So if we agree the Democrats are going to gain seats here, let's don't make it 22. Let's say 15. Over, under 15. Over. Over 15? Dave? Over. Over 15? I'll go over two, so maybe 15 is too generous. Can we disagree on something? Yes. Yeah. Let's do 20. <laughs> the Senate, we're going to disagree on this. Yeah. Uh, Republican or Democrat? Democrat. Democrat. Dave? I'll say Democrat, too. Over, under of 51 Democratic seats? <laughs> under. Under? I'm under. 50? Doug? Under 50? No, under 51. 50. Under, I'm under 51. 50. I'm going with 51. I'm going to go with 50, and I'm going to throw this hell scenario at you because I don't think the election is going to end neatly on Election Day. And that is the Senate ends up splitting 50-50, and the Republicans make a push for Joe Manchin to try to flip it back to 51-49. There is a history of doing this. The yeah. Democrats did this with uh, Jim yeah. Jefferts in 2001. Yeah. If I'm the Republicans, I'd go straight to that man. He and certainly got, and she certainly got the... He's got the pharmaceutical vote because of his daughter, uh, and, uh, and he's also got the NRA vote. Do you remember he put the Obama Medicare plan up exactly. and shot it with a shotgun? But he's a guy who's up in 2018, and we'll be yeah. sitting here talking soon about the 2018 Senate races, which were probably flipped out the Republicans. So, guys, have fun on election night. Don't stay up too late, Doug Rivers. <laughs> I'll be in New York too. I'll I'll be uh, hounding rivers I'll for be data. Texting, yeah, hounding rivers. See you Wednesday morning at yeah. 4 a.m. Yeah. Gotcha. 
Okay, guys, thanks for the podcast. Uh, everybody, if you haven't voted, please try to vote on Election Day. Dave and Doug, have you voted? Sending mine in today. Good. I, I voted Sunday at Rinconada High School. Yeah, I voted too. You've, li- you've been listening to a podcast, Poll Position, a podcast of the Hoover Institution. More institution- information about the Hoover Institution, please visit our website. That is www.hoover.org. And while you're there, I encourage you to sign up for the Hoover Daily Report. It keeps you up to date on all the ways Hoover Fellows are making news, their studies, analyses, and commentaries, and arrives in your mailbox every business day. You can also find us on Twitter, and our Twitter handle is at HooverINST. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. Thanks for sitting in with us today. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more research by our fellows on the 2016 election, please visit hoover.org slash decision 2016. For more podcasts from Hoover, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.